I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, under the heading of the privilege of prayer. Luke 18, the first eight verses of this chapter, under the heading of the privilege of prayer. And then afterwards, we'll turn in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 45. Beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 18, we read these words. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Here ends the reading of God's Word. And then we'll turn now in our Heidelberg Catechism to Lord's Day 45, which you can find in the forms and prayers in the pew in front of you on page 252. Lord's Day 45 on page 252. And we'll begin with question 116. Why do Christians need to pray? To which we respond in unison. Because prayer is the most thankful part, of, important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. Question 117. How does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other God than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. What has God commanded us to ask of Him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord Himself taught us. And let's pray these next words. What is this prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, blessed congregation, 
one of the greatest privileges Christians have been given in this life is immediate access to God by way of prayer. In every culture and in every land, there has existed temples. In every culture and in every land, there has existed priests. Because human beings feel within themselves. We know inherently in our hearts that there is a gap. There is a chasm between God and men. Calvin called this inherent knowledge of God the sense of the divine. That we're all born with a knowledge that God is great and we are small. That God is perfect. We are flawed. And these temples and these priests around the world stood as a place to bridge that gap. Yet, if you study any of these ancient religions, we come to find out that there was never much certainty that God would really hear their prayers. In all of these religions, we see this trend that priests would slash themselves like the prophets of Baal, you remember in 1 Kings, to try to get God's attention. Or in a lot of these religions, there would be these caustic prostitutes because the most powerful experience people knew on earth was sexual intimacy. And so if we do that in the presence of God, maybe we'll have some connection between us and the divine. Even today, pick up the New York Times or your local newspaper and you'll hear of people resorting to psychedelic drugs to try to get in touch with God. Ashrams and spiritual retreats have become very popular amongst people of our day. You'll hear glowing reviews of meditation trying to connect with the divine being. See, we all want to have that gap between man and God. We want a bridge. We want a connection. Well, the Christian teaching we've been learning in the Heidelberg Catechism is primarily based on three things. All good Christian teaching is based on three things. First, the Apostles' Creed. Second, the Ten Commandments. And third, the Lord's Prayer. Your Heidelberg Catechism is built on those three pillars. And here we come in Lord's Day 45 to its section concerning the Lord's Prayer. And what we learn is that the Bible categorically rejects any man-made attempt to try to bridge the gap between God and men. We don't need to resort to crystals to connect with God. We don't need to resort to yoga or meditations on the top of a mountain. But we learn in the Bible that God has given us a mediator who is Himself God and the bridge to connect man to God Almighty. We have a mediator who has put an end to all temples and priests. We have a mediator who has bridged the gap between God and men. 
Because the Son of God, the writer of Hebrews says, was made like us, a merciful and faithful high priest, tempted in every way, are yet without sin, the writer says we are able to approach God's throne of grace with confidence in prayer. With confidence. Are you confident that God hears your prayers? Do you know that He listens? Jesus tells us a parable. He tells His disciples a story to assure them that God hears their prayers when they come to Him in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. If the unjust judge will hear the cry of a poor desperate widow, how much more will your heavenly Father hear who loves you who desires communion with you, how much more so will He listen and hear your prayers? That's our theme for our time together this evening. If the unjust judge will listen to the cry of the widow, how much more will your loving Heavenly Father listen to your prayers? I want to show you three points from our catechism this evening. Prayer is necessary... Prayer is an act of faith, and prayer is a great encouragement. It's necessary, it's an act of faith, and it's a great encouragement. And you might say, whoa, pastor, this is a Protestant church. We are people who believe we're saved by grace alone. How can you say prayer is necessary? That's our first point. Well, in 1878... J.C. Ryle, the Anglican bishop of Liverpool, wrote this. He says, prayer is the most important subject in practical religion. All other subjects are second to it. Reading the Bible, keeping the Sabbath, hearing sermons, attending public worship, going to the Lord's table, all of them are very weighty matters, but none so important as private prayer. Likewise, our catechism begins with such strong language. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness to God. But what these two Protestant giants mean is not that God needs your prayers. Or not that a Christian is saved by their prayers. But this is a remind us that no one has ever been saved apart from prayer. Do you know that? this evening, no one has ever been saved apart from prayer. Prayer is absolutely needful for the Christian in this life. The Lord Jesus was aware of the necessity of prayer when He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, and here's the important phrase, not and not lose heart. Luke is giving us insight into the condition of the disciples as Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus knows that His disciples are in danger of becoming discouraged. They're in danger of becoming discouraged. And an important clue as to why they are becoming discouraged is because I want to show you that our parable is actually bookended by Jesus' teaching on the second coming. 
you have your Bible open, look at Luke 17, verse 22. Jesus teaching on the second coming. He says the days are coming when you will desire to see uh, the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Look at Luke 18, verse 8, the second book end. I tell you, I will, He will give Him just as speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, He will find faith on earth. You see, Jesus knows that His disciples will experience many trials between the first and second coming of Christ. Jesus knows that His people will have great affliction in this life. Jesus knows that those 12 disciples, 11 of them, will endure persecution. And 11 of them will be martyred for their faith. That they would endure beatings, that they would endure sufferings, that they would even have to lay their lives down for Jesus Christ. And that in that time, they will become discouraged. But there's more than this. It goes deeper than that. See, what Jesus is touching on in Luke chapter 17, verse 22, is that these disciples may be discouraged when they don't see their prayers answered. And he's right. There's something discouraging about crying out to God, maybe for justice, and you don't see how God's answering it. That's what the disciples would have been like. Come, Lord Jesus. Save us from our persecution. And they don't see an answer, Christ says in verse 22 of chapter 17. And so it is with us as well. Lord, bring our family members, unsaved family members to Christ with no no results. It discourages us. Our faith can become beat down when we pray for our churches. And we see little to no results. This is what the disciples were going to experience, Jesus says. There will be great persecution. There will be great discouragements even in your religious life. And so they were in danger of losing heart. Losing heart is a term which can also be translated as to become weary. Or to get exhausted. Like when you're working out in the field all day long and you're getting fatigued. You're getting wore down. And you need a glass of cold water to refresh you. Well, what is that refreshing glass of water? What do the disciples need when they're worn down by persecution? What do the disciples crave or are supposed to crave when they're discouraged by the status of the church? Christ gives them prayer. What the disciples need to spur them on. What Christ provides so that we can continue on in our faith despite various trials of physical and spiritual nature is prayer. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. This is what spurs them on in their persecution. What is their encouragement in their trials is prayer. Congregation, do you realize how 
counter-cultural Christ's words are this evening? Eleven of the disciples will be killed for their faith. He has told them, I am going to send you as lambs amongst wolves. And he says the most important thing for you, the most vital thing I can give you in the time of trial is prayer. So it is for the early church. Christ knew that there would be many heresies that would come their way. Christ knew that the disciples would be tempted to renounce Jesus as Lord and profess Caesar as Lord, but what Christ gives them is prayer. You see, we don't often think like this. In our discouragements, we ask Christ, why have you not provided for my needs? We go through financial trials. Lord, why can't you provide material wealth? We go through health trials. Lord, why why can you not provide for me and my health failing? But dear Christian, hear this. When Jesus saw the trials of His disciples, what He determined they needed most was prayer. You see, wealth can be taken from you. If Jesus gave His disciples wealth, it could have been stolen. Good health will never stay with you. They would have aged. Caesar has the sword. He could have taken their lives. But what Jesus gives to them is something that can never be taken from them. They can always lift up prayers to God. They can always be sustained and satisfied in prayer. Like we heard from our missionary report this week, in prison, you can still pray. You can pray when you are at church. Of course you can. But you can pray when you're at home. You can pray when you're in the prison. You can pray when you're in the hospital bed. It doesn't depend on the posture of your body. It doesn't depend on which building you are in. It's wherever you are, you are always given this immediate access from God to you in Christ. And so it is with you and with me. Over these next few weeks in the Heidelberg Catechism, we will see again and again from the New Testament, the call to the church today to pray. You too are given the privilege of prayer. All times. Everywhere. God calls you to prayer. Now there's something else I want to point out about this. Is Jesus' teaching assumes that we will have hardship. You will have troubles in your life. And these troubles that come to you in this life will weary you. They will test your faith. But Jesus has given you what is most needful. Prayer can support and sustain you. Do not lose heart. You know, boys and girls, did you know that there will be men and women in heaven who have never read the Bible? I'm serious. 
think in the ancient world how few people knew how to read. How few people uh, had a copy of the Bible even up until a few hundred years ago. But there are many people who believed and we are told will be in heaven. Boys and girls, did you know that there will be many people in heaven who have never been to church? There is even people in heaven who have never been baptized. Think of the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise, the Lord Jesus says. But there is no one who is in prayer or who is in heaven who has not said, Lord, in prayer, Lord, have mercy on me. Each person must repent. Each person must ask for forgiveness. Each person must look to God in faith, coming in the name and the blood of Jesus, and speak to God. There's no one in heaven who has never prayed. There's another application that needs to be said here. Sometimes when I'm speaking to people about their religious faith, and I'll encourage them, have you been praying? And they'll give me this response from time to time. Well, I just don't feel like it. Do you see what Jesus is saying here to his disciples? When you are persecuted, that's the time to pray. When you are discouraged, that's the time to pray. When you are losing heart, that's the time to pray. In other words, when you don't feel like praying, Christ beckons you to prayer. Why? I think our catechism says it well. Because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who ask. If you do not ask, you will not receive. But He gives His grace and Holy Spirit to those who continually in heartfelt longing ask. He gives you grace when you ask. He gives more of the Holy Spirit when you long for Him. In other words, God resolves the concerns of His people and He will supply your needs in prayer. Prayer is necessary. Not because God needs prayer. Not because prayer saves us. But it's a reminder that no one has been saved apart from prayer. But secondly, prayer is an act of faith. Consider with me that prayer is not only necessary, but prayer requires faith. This parable shows us that we need to come to God not simply saying rote prayers or mindless prayers, but we need to come to our Heavenly Father in faithful prayer. See, the first character we're introduced to in this parable is the judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And you remember in the ancient world that in every community there were courts which were staffed by notable peoples of social prominence. This man is introduced by Jesus as someone who is ungodly. And you see in verse 4, he is proud of the fact that he is ungodly. To the Jewish ears listening to Jesus' teaching, this judge is the opposite of what a Hebrew judge was supposed to be. 
It was King Jehoshaphat who said in 2 Chronicles 19, who tells us what a judge is supposed to be. He says, judges consider what you do. You judge not for man, but for God. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. Be careful there is no injustice, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. That's what a judge was supposed to be like. But the judge Jesus is describing would have been the last person you'd want to come before. That would have been the last person you'd want to make your appeal to. He doesn't love God or love His neighbor. And then the character Jesus brings into this story in verse 3, the widow would have been somebody who would have seemingly had little chance of her appeal being heard. Remember that in the ancient world, a widow was somebody who would have had little to no financial support. A widow without a husband would have had nobody to represent her in the social sphere. She had no protector. This woman coming before this judge would have been particularly vulnerable. And there's another consideration I want to bring to you. That these courts in the Middle East are not marked by the quiet decorum of our courts in the West. David Garland notes that in this part of the world, the courts are a great din of shouting and pushing. You see, all the odds are against this woman. An unjust judge, the lowest rung of society comes before him in a throng of people pushing and shoving and yelling. David Garland again notes the only way that this woman's appeal would have been heard if she, is if she pushed her way to the front and at the top of her voice shouted at the judge. And what I really want to draw out for you first here is that effective prayer has to be, have the right direction. Effective prayer has to have the right object. This is, we see this in the case of the widow. Even though he did not regard her and he did not fear God, she brought her cry to the right person. The point of this parable is not that God is an unrighteous judge or that he does not regard you. No, the point is that the judge, whose heart is as hard as marble, listens to her cry. How much more so when the children of God direct their prayers to Him? This is what the Catechism says. From the heart to the one true God. You see this in the case of the widow. She brings her cry to the judge. But there's a second aspect to prayer. And that is... It's illustrated well, I should say. When people sometimes say to me, Pastor, I feel unworthy to pray. I feel too sinful to come before God and prayer. And you know what my response is to that? Good. Because prayer needs to be brought humbly before God in recognition 
of our sinfulness. She is described as a widow. Described as the lowest person in society. She has no money, no legal defense. But nonetheless, she has an audience with the judge. Luke 18 actually includes two parables about prayer. And if you look later in Luke 18, we have a more vivid description of sinners coming before God where we have the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. And the Pharisee has no recognition of his sin and misery. He even says in the presence of God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. But does God hear his prayer? Jesus says no. But the second character, the tax collector, remember he beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God regards his prayer because he confessed his sinfulness. He saw his need and lived in recognition of his sins. So it is with us. The prayer God regards is when we fully recognize, the catechism says, our need in misery so that we humble ourselves in God's presence. I like the way one Presbyterian author put it. Prayer is ordained for the helpless. Only he who is truly helpless can truly pray. In our prayers, we must tell God, I cannot. Only you can. When we bring something to the Lord in prayer, let us say, I cannot. Only you can. This is why this parable is so comforting. How would you describe the woman's pleading before the judge? Think of that scene. An unrighteous judge. The poor widow. The thronging crowds. How would you describe her cry? It's raw. Isn't her cry real? It's from the heart. And so our catechism says that's how God wants us to pray. He wants us to go with our whole heart and to bring before God our honest prayer. You don't have to bring before God some pre-functionary prayer or some spiritual prayer. God wants you to bring your honest prayer before Him. I think a verse that illustrates this well, if you flip with me in your Bibles, is Romans 8, verse 4. We looked at it a few weeks ago in our morning service, but Romans 8, verse 4. Excuse me, I don't mean verse 4. Romans 8, verse 26. We'll turn there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And when the Spirit comes alongside us, do we not cry? Do we not cry? We cry out. 
which is a Hebrew euphemism for prayer. Crying out is the same idea as prayer. Dear Christian, God wants to hear your cry. The burden of your heart. If your children are troubling you, cry out to Him. He delights to hear it. Cry out to Him about your sins. Cry out to Him about your marriage. Cry out to Him about your failures. Cry out to Him about your thanksgivings. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not in the presence of God. You can come to Him broken. You can come to Him confused. You don't have to hide anything. You can acknowledge everything in God's presence. The difference between God and the unjust ruler in this parable is that the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is our Father. That with the same intensity and love that a father gets up from his chair and runs to his children in their cry, so does Yahweh hasten to listen to his children when they cry out to him. Boys and girls, I want to encourage you this evening to pray even while you are young. You do not have to wait until you're married to pray. You don't have to wait until you pray like dad. But just like the widow says a simple prayer, hear me, avenge me. Or the tax collector says, Lord, forgive me. Jesus loves. God loves simple prayers. And you know, the fact that God knows everything doesn't make prayer useless. This parable illustrates that God actually uses prayer to accomplish His good purposes. He uses prayer. This is why prayer is such a great encouragement to us. It is a great encouragement. But in my years of working in the church and serving the church, my impression is that prayer for most Christians is not encouraging. By and large, the majority of Christians, in my experience, has been that they actually feel a great sense of guilt when it comes to the subject of prayer. Maybe guilt about how little we pray or how little we desire to pray. Or maybe even the self-centered subject of our prayers. And so we feel guilty. But this parable is a reminder that prayer is for our encouragement. You know, one of the ways that I have been so encouraged in my life is when somebody says, Jacob, I'm praying for you. I've told the story once before, I'll say it again. When I first moved to the United States during the COVID pandemic, no Canadians allowed in or out of the country, I was one of the only people at the border. And all the stress that came involved of moving to a new country and going to seminary and taking intensive Greek. And I came to church that Sunday morning in Faith United Reformed Church in Beecher, Illinois. And they said, ah, you must be our seminarian. Your pastor called ahead. We've been praying for you. And what a comfort that was to me as a young seminarian. To know that somebody was praying for me. 
And for some reason, in our suffering, Christians testify that someone else's prayer bring peace to us when even in our weakness, our concerns are being brought before the Father. This is the great encouragement of prayer. Not that our prayers are worthy. Not that we are sinless and are therefore able to bring perfect prayers. Prayer is a great encouragement, not because we say the right things, but because even though we don't deserve it, the catechism says, God surely listens to our prayers because of Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Jesus is the mediator between God and men. And so that whatever our prayers lack in selflessness, whatever they lack in eloquence, whatever they lack in passion, they are covered in the blood of Christ. And even when we do not pray as we ought, He ever lives to intercede before the Father. And even though in our prayers we stammer, and even though in our prayers we stumble, we know that the Spirit carries them to the throne of grace and God hears our prayers. This is the great encouragement of prayer. You have a perfect mediator. You have a Father who loves you. You have a Spirit interceding for you. And your petition is brought before the throne of grace. And you can bring everything to Him. Why does Jesus in Luke 18 use the example of an unjust judge? Remember, the context is about people suffering. That's their physical suffering. There's an injustice that's gone on, though we don't know the, what it is. And Jesus is saying, bring it to the judge. Bring your injustice to the judge of all the earth. Bring your physical needs to your God. God, this prayer is not simply about how God hears the spiritual concerns of the church, but He also hears people in their suffering. And so when the judge says, I will avenge her lest she continue to weary me, this is an encouragement. Bring your petitions to the Lord, not only for your spiritual needs, but also for your physical needs. You see this also in the Lord's Prayer. And we'll look at each petition in turn in these coming weeks. But it's not only about spiritual things. Your will be done on earth. Physical. Give us this day our daily bread, our physical needs. Deliver us from evil. I guess that can be both. But spiritually and physically. And God promises that He will hear your prayers for the sake of Christ. And through your prayers, He works wonders. Do we believe that as Reformed Christians? That through prayer, God works wonders? Well, that's the testimony of the Bible. There is nothing too hard, too great, or too difficult for God to do in prayer. The Bible says that in prayer, God split the Red Sea and led Israel through. Through prayer, water came from the rock and bread from heaven. 
Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew the armies against Israel. It was the prayer of Christ that brought about the most impossible thing, the forgiveness of our sins, when He prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. For the next few weeks, we are going to look at the power of prayer. You remember what the context of the Lord's Prayer is? Jesus giving the Lord's Prayer, it was the disciples who said, teach us to pray. So many of us have that same question. How do we pray? In these next few weeks, as we walk through the Heidelberg Catechism's teaching on prayer, may that be our prayer and focus. O oh, Jesus, who sat on the mount many thousand years ago, teach us again to pray. In conclusion, I want you to just notice one final thing. Notice the strong language the catechism uses about prayer. We need to pray. Question 116. The command to pray. Question 118. The command again in question 120. No doubt prayer is our duty. But as J.I. Packer says, it is a duty that turns to delight. Prayer is our great privilege when we come by faith in Jesus' name and bring all of our petitions and prayers before Him. He will hear and quickly answer. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that we are able to come into your presence at all times and everywhere to prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this great privilege that no matter where we are, who we are, what language we speak, we can come to you in prayer and be assured that you hear us by faith in Christ. We thank you for this perfect mediator who stands before God and the Holy Spirit who brings our prayers before you. We ask, Lord, that You would bless us in these next few weeks as we endeavor to learn to pray. Teach us each petition in turn and show us that prayer is not a religious exercise simply for the strengthening of our faith, but it is also for Your great glory and for the honor of Your name. And unto these ends we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.